0: As you're uh, sitting down, go ahead and take out your Bibles and turn in them to Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 1, remember, there's no shame in using the table of contents here. So look in the front, see where Habakkuk is. Hopefully, hopefully, you have been taking the challenge this week and beginning to read through this book. Once a week is what we challenge you to throughout the entirety of this series. So hopefully you're starting to get used to where Habakkuk is in your Bible, but if not, use that table of contents. Uh, A little bit review as you're turning to Habakkuk. We started a sermon series last week that's going to be going for five weeks this summer. It's titled, Deep Hope, Trusting God When You Don't Understand. And in this series, we are considering how to wrestle with God in the complexities of life, while hopefully learning how to move from from complaint and confusion and struggle to to trust by fixing our eyes on our sovereign, good, just God. Uh, Last week, we gave a definition of biblical lament, which is what this is, and it was this. um, Biblical lament is humble, honest conversation with God about brokenness in our world and in our lives, That cultivates in us a deeper trust in Him. Right? And last week, last week we were in chapter one, verses one through 11, and we saw Habakkuk turn to the Lord first in his struggle. And we asked the question, where do we turn first? And we saw Habakkuk complain and be honest with God about the violence and strife and injustice within God's people, particularly last week. We're going to see that shift a little this week. And God graciously answered him. And he said, I'm going to be raising up the Chaldeans and I'm going to discipline my people. If you've been reading through Habakkuk, you've probably seen a little bit of the structure. So the structure looks like this in the first part of this first chapter, there's a complaint by Habakkuk, and then the Lord answers. And now in the second part of this chapter, and in chapter two that we're going to be covering today, Habakkuk has a second complaint, and then the Lord responds again. So there's a pattern here that is good that we're going to walk through. So let's jump into it. Uh, Father, open our eyes so that we might see wondrous things from your word. Hold out to us your beauty through your inspired word this morning, Lord, and do miraculous work even in our midst as you conform us into your image and then send us out for your glory. We love you so very much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First, we want to look at the complaint. The complaint. This is uh, starting in chapter 1, verse 12 through 17. Let's read this. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? "'We shall not die.'" Another way of putting this could be, "'Surely you don't plan to kill us, to wipe us out. "'O Lord, you have ordained them, the Chaldeans, "'as a judgment, and you, O rock, "'have established them for reproof. "'You who are of pure eyes than to see evil "'and cannot look at wrong, "'why do you idly look at traitors?' And remains silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. Verse 14, you make mankind, us, like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He, the Chaldeans, brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly mercilessly killing nations forever habakkuk starts his second complaint here by reflecting accurately on God's character that is something that's so important remembering exactly who he is he starts it by like oh Lord my God my holy one my rock pure eyes than to see evil okay he knows God he knows God but he's confused and struggling and asking why this way God I don't understand. It's like he's saying, I hear you. You're always working in ways that I can't even believe, I can't even grasp. Remember verse five there in chapter one from last week. Always working in these ways. But why like this? How can you do things this way? Right? The Chaldeans are wicked. So much more wicked than your people, Lord. But this, this is the heart of the honesty. Of lament. You see, he's wrestling with the difference that he perceives between who he knows God to be, God's character, and what God is allowing and doing. These two things don't seem to match up in his mind. And this is a question that we still wrestle with today, don't we? Like, how can our just, holy God allow blank? to continue in this world. Lord, how can you allow and even use the wicked to discipline and judge those more righteous, which is your people? Here we see, and especially in verses 14 through 16, the Babylonians are ruthless, so much so that they end up worshiping their own power, and they they give themselves the glory for their exploits, and they they profit from their oppression and their evil conquest. And then it all comes to the end here in verse 17. And Habakkuk is like, Will you let them get away with this forever, Lord? Look at chapter 2, verse 1 it says, I, Habakkuk, will take my stand at my watchpost, and I will station myself on the tower, and I will look out to see what he what god will say to me and what i will answer concerning my complaint okay so typically they used to stand waiting on the city walls and they would wait for messengers to show up on the horizon typically bringing word from from war from the battle front and this is where Habakkuk says, I will stand there at my watch post and I will watch. And I don't think, you could read this, I think, wrongly, if you, if you see here like a hands on the hips type of waiting. Like a, I'll stand here and I will station myself and I'll wait for you to answer. I don't think that's what's happening here. Why? Because Habakkuk is saying, help me understand, God. I, I want to know why, and so this, this stationing himself at the watch post is him saying, I'm ready for your answer. There's faith being exercised here. He's like, I want this conversation to continue. He expects that God will answer and that he will then again answer God. I want to understand and I don't understand the Lord and so I will set myself here and I will brace myself and I will wait till I hear from you. So that's the, that's the complaint. Next, we see the response. The response, chapter 2, verses 2 through 5 here says this. And the Lord answered me. And he said, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For this, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his, the Chaldean's soul, is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He, the wicked, gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. The Lord responds to Habakkuk here and he says really three things. He says, write it, wait for it, and live by faith. Write it, wait for it, live by faith. The first thing he says is write it. Verse two, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. He's like, write this down well. Why? This is my word. So write it really well because I want everyone to understand it. And when they understand it, they're going to run with it and they're going to keep proclaiming it and it's going to go out in this way. So write it down. Second thing, wait for it. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Notice that God's word will not lie. If it seems slow, I love this, Wait for it. <laughs> it will surely come. It will not delay. This is God saying, this is going to happen. This will happen, but it will be in my timing. And when, when you're tempted to give up and to not believe, keep waiting. Church, when you're tempted to give up and not believe, keep waiting wait for it so he says write it wait for it the third thing he says is live by faith live by faith verse 4 behold the chaldeans the wicked soul is puffed up it's proud <clears throat> it is not upright within him but the righteous shall live by his faith god's saying i'm working there's a plan. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that plan. Write it down. Carry it. Wait for it. It's going to take some time. And here's what it's going to require. Verse 4. It's going to require that you trust me. He's like, the Babylonians are are proud and arrogant. They're self-sufficient. They trust their own might. We saw that in chapter 1 and verse 11 and verse 16. The proud rely on themselves, but the righteous rely on God. Second part of this verse, let's walk through this. The righteous, the righteous, who is that? What's that mean? The righteous here is those who are right with God. Those who are in right standing with him. What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to live. They're supposed to live their lives. How? By faith. By faith, faith here is deep trust in God and His promises, rather than myself. This is the difference between the world and God's people. This verse is the central message of the gospel and of Scripture, and it's it's really cool. Um, it's quoted three times in the New Testament. And the reason it's quoted three times in the New Testament is because each time it's used, it's coming at this from a different angle so that you might see the totality of the beauty of what this phrase is telling us. So I want us to look at the three times really quick that is quoted in the New Testament because it's important to see how the inspired writers of the New Testament quoted the inspired writers of the Old Testament. So the first one is in Romans one 16 through 17, this passage is talking about how faith characterizes Christian life from start to finish, how salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Here's what it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the gospel The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, from start to finish. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Next one is Galatians 3.11. This passage is talking about how the law can't save you. The law can't make you righteous. It's only by faith in Christ. It says this, now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The last Passages, Hebrews 10, 36 through 39, which is talking about perseverance and enduring suffering by faith. It says this, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous, my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So what are these verses telling us that really the meaning of this verse is, it's this, we initially turn from our sins and we turn towards Jesus, trusting him for salvation. And what's he do? He declares us righteous, right with God. But then, then we continue to live moment by moment from start to finish, even in the most difficult situations, even when we don't understand, we live by faith. We live in dependence on him. That's what he's calling Habakkuk and us too in this passage. So we've got a complaint. We've got a response. Third thing that we see from this passage is this. We've got the promises. The promises. This will be verses six there in chapter two all the way to the end of the chapter. Let's read this. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him, the wicked one, with scoffing and riddles for him and say this, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own? For how long? and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble and then you will be spoiled for them? Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Verse nine, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. For you have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Verse 12, Woe to him who builds up a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. Verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Verse 15, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink, drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup and the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as with the destruction of the beast that terrified them for the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it a metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there's no breath at all in it. Verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. This section has got so much truth in it. What's happening here? Here's what's happening. God graciously provides Habakkuk here with hope that he then writes down throughout this section. See, God gives him promises to cling to that will both fuel and inform his faith. Habakkuk comes and complains. I don't understand. Help me understand. I don't know why. I'll wait here for your answer. The Lord responds and he says, write this down. Run with it. Wait for it. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust me. Okay? And then this section is what he does. He goes, trust me for these reasons. How gracious of him. Here's some promises, Habakkuk. Here's some promises, church, that we can cling to as we seek to live our lives by faith. There's three of them here. Here's the first one. There will be justice. There will be justice. There's five woes pronounced by God against the Chaldeans here. Verse six says, you have plundered, you will be plundered. (laughs) Verse 9 and following says, you get dishonest gain and wealth for the purpose of your own security, you will forfeit your life. Verse 12 says, you build your cities with money gained by bloodshed, you'll exhaust yourselves for nothing because it will burn. Verse 15 says, you pour out your wrath, God says, I'll pour out my wrath on you. You will be disgraced and your violence will come back on you. And then in verse 19 here, it says your dumb, lifeless idols will be silenced by Yahweh. The evildoers, the enemies of God, the wicked here, particularly the Babylonians, will face the just wrath of God. Justice here is left in the hands of God Almighty. And one day, all will face him. It will come to pass. Wait for it. Trust him. So there will be justice. The second promise we see in this passage is down in verse 14 here in chapter two. And it's this, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the as the waters cover the earth. The sea. What when we talk about the glory of the Lord, we want to be careful to define that. What is the glory of the Lord? This is God's holiness, His perfections, His His attributes on display, manifested for all to see. So, is what he's saying here is that even though violence and sin seem at this point. To cover the earth, God's like, I am and I will do a work to fill the earth with the knowledge of my glory. How will he do this? Well, there's actually three ways under this that, that the Lord will do this. The first is this. Initially, he does this about 50 years after, in 539 BC, when the Medes and the Persians sweep through and destroy the Babylonians. So so the Chaldean's glory doesn't fill the earth. God has brought justice. His glory fills the earth. The second way that the Lord does this is, is in this. He's filling the earth. He's filling the earth with the knowledge of his glory already, even now, through the gospel. And we see a little hint of this in chapter 2, verse 2, when he's like, write the vision, make it plain on the tablets so that everyone can understand it. And once they understand it, what are they going to do? They're going to run with it. They're going to take it. And then someone else is going to read it and understand it. And then it's going to keep going. His beauty, his, his holiness, his glory is on display in and through the lives of his people who live for his glory in the spread of the gospel. How'd this happen? Well, first it happened because he filled us with this knowledge. He filled us with it. Uh, Second Corinthians four, five, and six says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He softened our hard heart. He opened our blind eyes with the gospel. And he caused us to see the beauty of Jesus and the good news about him and ignited in us the knowledge of the glory of God. And then from there, what's he do? He sends us with the knowledge of his glory. Matthew five sixteen. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He is filling the earth with the knowledge of his glory. I I talked to uh, so many people and even so many of you who are lamenting the current state of our world. Right? Babylon is... Raging in so many ways. And often those conversations end with, with this, I don't know what to do. What can I, can I do? How can we be filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? And this morning, I just wanted to take a, an aside and talk about two what I think are pertinent right now ways that we can be working with the Lord to spread the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to the ends of the earth. The first is this. Um, If you haven't noticed, uh, radiant is being fruitful and multiplying. (laughs) There are so many kids here. We are being fruitful and multiplying by having children. We are being fruitful and multiplying by fostering children. We are being fruitful and multiplying by adopting children. This past week, this Wednesday, I got to be with 50 of you in a courtroom where I get to witness the beauty of adoption taking place. So much so, it made the judge cry. That's something I won't forget, Sue. We fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord when we stop and we realize that one of our first responsibilities is to disciple our kids, right? We have hundreds of children here represented in our faith family. And every weekend, here's what's really cool, they all come here. (laughs) And we have an opportunity right here to point them to Jesus Christ, 220 of you serve two weeks out of every six weeks over in kids ministry. Thank you. 30 of you serve 150 students every Sunday night, hoping to point them to Jesus Christ. Thank you. This generation is not out there. It's right here. Just saying, here we are. Disciple us, point us to Christ and then send us into all the earth to spread the knowledge of the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. Imagine if Malia Lichty, our kids ministry director, imagine if Malia never again in the life of this church had to look for a kids ministry volunteer. Why? Because we were knocking on her door saying, please, can I serve kids? Please. Can I love them? Please, can I show them Jesus? Please, can I teach them the gospel? Please, I want to be part of this. I want to help right here. How can I do that? And I know there's complications that make it difficult for some of us with with schedules and with health, but we have such an opportunity here in our community. This is a community project. Whether you're young or seasoned, Single or married, we have a chance right here to display Jesus to this generation and our children and to send them into all the earth. Oh, that we would disciple our kids as a church, right? Right. That's one thing that we can do. How else can we be tangibly right now working to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God? Um, Maybe you've heard... A couple weeks ago, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, <laughs> and in, in the wake of that, I've had so many conversations of, what do we do? How do we think about this? What does this look like for us as Christians? I want to turn over, you can follow me there if you want to, to First Timothy chapter 2. If not, you can just listen. Don't worry, we'll hop back to Habakkuk and we'll... We'll close out there this morning, but this passage is just so beautiful and so applicable to this conversation. 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first six verses. Um, in verse 4, it says this, God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I wrote in my, in the column there, sounds like Habakkuk 2. <laughs> God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Here, God's like, listen, my desire, my desire is that all people will be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth about me, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of the gospel, So, church, then, in light of God's desire to do this, what are we supposed to do? And I love the clarity of this passage on where we're supposed to start. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, First of all, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. He's like, listen, I desire that all people be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Where do we start, Lord? What do we do? How do we get in on this, your mission? Here's where you start, church. We pray. We cry out to God to do what only he can do. Um, We have, from my understanding, discussions coming up here Um, July 25th, right here in Indiana with our government officials that will be determining what happens with abortion here in our state. Do we believe that God hears and chooses to work through the prayers of his people? We better, because that's what he's teaching us in Habakkuk here. That's what he's teaching us here in in, in First Timothy and across scripture that he is the God of the universe and he graciously works on behalf of his people and for his glory if we will but cry out to him and ask him to do that. So would we, over the next couple of weeks, pray like crazy and fast that God would do a work. Pray for our, our leaders, pray for wisdom for them pray for life for the unborn and not just not just praying for physical deliverance but would we pray that one day these children would go, grow up and ultimately by grace through faith in Christ would be saved from their sins and into relationship with him and that they too would have the opportunity to go to the ends of the earth and spread the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. they are like, okay, Nate, we should pray. That's where we should start. What else should we do? Well, this passage tells us, it says, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all those in high positions so that, so that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life, godly, and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Here's what I want you to do, church. He's like, you start by praying, and then what will you do? That life of prayer, that life of dependence upon the Lord will overflow in a life that is peaceful and quiet and godly and dignified. Here's what we're called to do. We're called to live lives that put the gospel on display and to share the good news about Christ. How do we do that in in this situation? Here's what we do. We, We continue to work for life for the unborn. That's what we do. Not only that, we commit to care for and share the gospel with mothers and fathers with unwanted pregnancies. People who are often desperate and hurting and confused deceived by the evil one to think this is the only way. We also continue to foster and adopt children like crazy, and we support those who are doing just that right now. We commit to love and share the gospel with everyone, even people who disagree with us. And not only that, we love and we share the glorious message of hope and forgiveness with those who have had or supported abortion. And we hold out to them the gospel proclaimed in Romans chapter eight that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? That's what we do, church. We pray and we work and we live godly, dignified lives holy lives in this generation seeking to spread the knowledge of the glory of God everywhere. The third way that God does this is is this. One day, one day, he will ultimately spread the knowledge of the glory of the Lord when he returns. And he sets up his eternal kingdom. Philippians chapter 2. Right At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and all suffering and sin and all that is unglorifying to him will be once and for all banished from his kingdom and only what is glorifying to him will spread across the universe. The last promise that he gives us in this passage is this. Look down at verse 20 of chapter 2 of Habakkuk says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The last promise that he gives us that we cling to as we live by faith is this. God is on the throne. He uses this verse to summarize all of his responses to Habakkuk right? God is on his throne. He's in his holy temple. God uses sinful people and nations to accomplish his perfect purposes. And right here in this passage, his perfect purposes is his loving discipline to correct his people and draw them back to himself. And what he's telling us here in this final verse of the chapter is that in all of this, the Lord is holy, not sinful. And they, the wicked, the Chaldeans here will be held accountable for their willing, sinful actions. And as we struggle through that, it's good to remember that God is on his throne. Let all the earth keep silence before him. He is God. We we aren't. I heard years ago a a pastor quote a Bible teacher named J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee said this. He said, this is God's universe. He does things his way. You you may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. (laughs) And that is good to remember. In all of our struggling with the Lord, in all of our lamenting, in all of our attempts to live life by faith, at the end of the day, we stop and we kneel and remember that he is the Lord, he is on his throne, he is in control, and I am not him the lament here for Habakkuk starts in the place of saying how long but then it moves to asking the question I don't understand Lord help me understand why this way God's response is live by faith trust me and in trusting me you can bank on this there will one day be justice for all one day, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And you can bank on this. He says, "I am in control." As the worship team comes this morning, um, I look at this and I go, like, "So what do we do with all that?" <laughs> and here's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we're going to celebrate communion together, and then we're going to worship. And here's why. It's important that we remember that we all deserve the just wrath of God. Romans 3.23, Paul tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Later in Romans, he says the wages of sin, the just penalty for our sin is death. Physically and eternally. But Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead for sinners. All of us, the greatest act of evil ever perpetuated was the crucifixion of the Son of God. And God sovereignly used it to accomplish his perfect purposes in redemption. Jesus drank the full cup of God's wrath in our place on the cross. And now by grace through faith, we are justified. We are declared righteous, we are forgiven, we are redeemed, we are sanctified, we are called to a mission to spread the glory of the Lord across this earth and one day in relationship with him, we will be in eternal bliss forever with him. And God is shown in the gospel to be both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. What an appropriate place for us to celebrate communion. So here's what we're gonna do this morning. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've turned from your sins, placed your trust in Jesus for salvation, we wanna invite you to take communion with us. And we're just gonna take a couple minutes in your seats right where you're at for you to be with the Lord. And maybe, maybe you need to continue a lament with him that how long question that you've got. Maybe your lament needs to move into a, I don't understand why, Lord, help. Maybe there's some sin in your life that you need to repent to him this morning before you take communion. Or maybe, maybe you just need to sit with him and worship and thank him for all that he's done whatever business you need to do with the Lord this morning, we're going to take these next couple minutes and we're going to do that right where you're at. And then when you are ready, eat the bread, drink the cup, and remember, remember his broken body and his shed blood on our behalf. And then we're going to worship him together.